Welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. The South Carolina game came and the South Carolina game went. The Huskies fall by four at the XL Center. And considering the circumstances was as close as you're going to get for UConn to a good loss. They played well. They had a pretty good game plan that they came in with. They looked pretty good. And it really just became clear as the game went on that they had one big hole in that backcourt, one that could slash should be filled by AZ FUD. So UConn loses, and it is really kind of the second time this year where UConn comes out with a loss and you and you end up feeling pretty good about things based on the way that loss goes. The other being Maryland when they... <laughs> They just had nobody left. So that one was a lot closer than we thought it was going to be and felt like a pretty good win for UConn or a pretty good loss, all things considered, and not a good win for Maryland. And this one, I think it's even closer. UConn's going to be looking at some points in this game where, oh, if we did this, if we did that, if this didn't happen, if that didn't happen, there's there's a way for UConn to come out of this game with a win. Even though they don't, I feel like they got to be pretty happy with themselves, even if they're not saying it publicly. So what did you think about the way it all unfolded? Yeah, I think especially going into fourth, the fourth quarter, kind of they were very close going into it with the chance of winning it and then keeping it close. And even when they went down fighting back, I think you have to feel, like you said, pretty good about this loss. They were supposed to lose this game, right? Like the, the expectation was for them to lose this game. The expectation was that South Carolina's depth was just going to be a little bit too much for UConn with the roster that it has available right now to overcome. But I think they kept it as close as possible. And if they, even if they just had Caroline, honestly, you might be talking about a different result. So I think that's a really positive thing to see. Yeah, I was thinking that too, how they just needed a little bit more in a couple different areas. And like, Really, the backcourt, because at least of the players they had available, Aaliyah Edwards had, all things considered, one of her most impressive performances of the year. Dorka Juhas didn't play great, which I think is kind of a factor in this, where if she has maybe more of a typical night from herself, and it's really the first time all year we've seen her, I don't even know if it was struggle, she was just more invisible than anything, but that's kind of the first time we've seen it all year, so... Even if you're just looking at the players that were out there, I still think it's a pretty easy formula for how UConn could have pulled this off. And yeah, like you said, just you put Caroline out there. That's a whole different game too, because they just didn't have that threat on the perimeter and they were doing a really good job of getting to the rim. It wasn't just the guards. I mean, Nika had a really good first quarter. Lou had a really good game. But even towards the end of the game, Aaliyah Edwards was getting the ball in the high post and had some really nice moves to just get into the lane for some easy layups. Aubrey Griffin, too. So if if they meet again and UConn has, I mean, I still think AZ is the great equalizer in this. But if you have both of those two back, AZ and Caroline, who are both threats from three, but then can also get to the rim. I'd be really interested to see how South Carolina tries to defend them. Do they just clog up the lane and make UConn beat them with threes? Because, yeah, maybe you could do that. 
But at the same time, AZ could also go 10 for 10 from three and suddenly you lose by 30. It's still a really interesting chess match for these two teams just in it all. Everyone said post game that they think they're going to meet again. And if that happens, it almost felt like both of these teams kind of held a few cards close to their chest, knowing that there could be a second meeting coming up. And that creates a lot of interesting possibilities of does the game look the same? Is it completely different if UConn has different personnel? Does South Carolina pull something else out that's different that maybe they didn't use in this one? So it's it was almost a chess match where both sides were determined not to really reveal anything. Yeah, which I think it makes a lot of sense. I think especially watching how close that game was yesterday, there's a, a pretty good chance that this is like your your national championship game in the first weekend in April. I, I would say it's probably the most likely national championship game uh, in April. So, uh, yeah, that part makes a lot of sense. And I think you saw some things that UConn did really well and some things that they'll need to work on to, to win that matchup should they have it again. But overall, I think it was really strong performance. I think one thing that stood out to me is offensively, they scored 77 points. And if you ask me what the final score was going to be yesterday, there's no world where I would have told you that UConn was going to score 77 points and outscore South Carolina in the paint, which they did 42 to 38. So I thought that was something that really stuck out, stuck out to me against the best defense in the country. Yeah, and it wasn't even all that difficult, really. I mean, they were getting some pretty easy baskets. There were a lot of layups in there. And not just layups. There were a lot of completely uncontested layups where UConn just had its way inside. It drew, I think I counted them up, and at least ones that they converted. They converted four old-fashioned three-point plays. If you just can clean it up, it, it really feels like I mean, again, maybe this changes the way both teams play, but AZ would help, and AZ is always going to help, and you can always score more points, but it feels like it might be more down on the defensive end because in that fourth quarter, as UConn was trying to make its comeback, it would get within four, three, two points, but it just couldn't get enough stops on that end of the floor, or it would look like it would get the stop, and then South Carolina would end up with the ball. And as much as it often as it did on offense for a lot of the game, it couldn't keep up when the defense wasn't holding up its end of the bargain. So defense rebounding, we knew that it was going to be an ugly rebounding game. And as Gino kind of alluded to, there are still moments where UConn should have gotten a rebound and it didn't come away with it. So it was overall, you can't be much happier with the way UConn played while also acknowledging that there's plenty more that they could do in order to improve if they meet again. Yeah, exactly. And I think the the rebounding stands out the most, especially, I mean, Camilla Cardoso had nine offensive boards. I think that's the total number of offensive boards that UConn had. Aaliyah Boston had six, and they were able to score a lot of points off the offensive glass. If you cut down their second chance opportunities just a little bit more, I think UConn would have been in a much better position. They had 25 offensive rebounds in the game and 25 second chance points. So almost a third of their points came on second chance opportunities. And I think 
being better there would help. And I think down the stretch too, part of that, I mean, they, they struggled with the rebounding all game, so you definitely can't say it's fully this, but I mean, the fouling or the foul trouble at the end, like only Edwards basically couldn't go for a rebound for a while there because you're just trying to keep her on the floor. So some of that as well would have helped down the stretch, but they're going to have to be better on the glass the next time they see this team. Yeah, I mean, five of those rebounds came on one possession where you could see Aaliyah Edwards. She was just <laughs> like she wasn't standing there with her arms out like I, I can't do anything here. But that's essentially what she was doing. She just had to stand and watch and hope someone could get that rebound because <laughs> she's a junior. She knows women's basketball refs well at this point, even if she's near something that they view as contact, she might not even do anything and she could foul out. So part of it is, yeah, you got to be careful and you got to make sure you don't get that fourth foul. And in that is you can't even be in a position where they can make something up to call on you because they have no idea what they're doing. And it was very clear all game long that these refs had no idea what they were doing, which (laughs) has very much been a theme for UConn in big games. And that's not even saying like the refs jobbed UConn or, you know, they they helped UConn or they helped South Carolina like they were just bad in general that's the way that they've been that was the way they were against South Carolina or not South Carolina Tennessee it's a continuous problem so there's Aaliyah Edwards being staying out of foul trouble and again coming back to Dorky Uhas if Dorky Uhas is a little bit better in this one if she's if she's just a factor any sort of factor instead of being invisible, that probably makes a difference too. I mean, Aaliyah Boston, she had an Aaliyah Boston game, but they held her 0 for 3 with no points, or with 0 for 5 from the field with three points in that first half. So she's going to get hers eventually, but the fact that they limited it to one half, if Dorky Uhas had a bigger game and was able to help out more with Camilla Cardoso, maybe we're looking at a different game there. Yeah, exactly. A lot of that second quarter run was a from Camille Cardoso being able to get on the, the boards and get some points there in the second quarter because they did a really, really good job on Boston. And then I thought they also, for the whole game, and this is a largely credit to Aubrey Griffin, did a really good job on Zaya Cook. She was 2 of 15 from the floor, didn't hit a 3. They really took her out of the equation a lot offensively, and that was huge for UConn being able to keep it close. And with Raven Johnson going off for, what was it, 25 points or something, or 19 points? She had a lot. Oh, it was only 14? Mm -hmm. Oh, that makes a lot more sense then. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, let her beat you. There was nothing really that we saw from Raven Johnson that was like, nah, you need to put more attention on her. No, she's got a really ugly-looking jumper. (laughs) It's not a very repeatable shot. And it's not one that really fought, fell all that much. So I really liked UConn's game plan of let's just clog the middle. And if they beat you with three pointers, then they beat you with three pointers. And that's a that's a perfectly fine way to go down. I have no problem with that if that's a way that UConn attacks their next game. So to do that and the game plan that they had, I liked that. And, you know, you'd hope that having more bodies down there would help you out with rebounding that didn't necessarily come true. But at the same time, having this one experience with this specific team last year, it was a different Aaliyah Edwards, Aubrey Griffin, Dorky Uhas weren't out there. Iana Patterson, who I want to talk about in a little bit 
wasn't out there. They, this entire front group, front court as a group, now has the experience of playing South Carolina, knowing what it's like to go up against these bigs. That's not going to suddenly help them get more rebounds, but I think just knowing what's coming, you can prepare for it a little different mentally. And Dorky Uhas has very much shown herself to be the type of player that doesn't like what's the word like she she's very she she's motivated by past performances and i think this year we've really seen how the way last year ended has motivated her and how that's kind of been a big part of the way that she's played for all of the season up until south carolina so you know i'd le- like to imagine that if they played again dorky uhas would have a better game so there's a lot of different lanes and ways to look at this game that feel pretty good for UConn, especially considering the best player in the country is sitting on the bench. Well, the two best players in the country, but for this <laughs> season specifically, AZ Fudd's on the bench and Caroline Ducharme was playing well before her concussion. I'm, I'm a little hesitant to just be like, Oh no, Caroline is going to be huge once she gets back simply because we don't really know what we're going to get out of her. And I guess AZ could kind of fall in that same category, but we saw what happened with Caroline last year after a head injury. It's been an inconsistent year this year. I'm just a little wary of that, but either way, a second matchup of these two teams, presumably in the final four at some point would be very fun. And at this moment, I'm not particularly sure who's going to stop either one of them. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, looking at Caroline and, and AZ, they might not be the players that we necessarily like hope they would be this season, but I still think it's something that you get someone that can come in off the bench that can score, which is something this team is really lacking now. I think the depth in terms of the offensive production is is not there, and I think that would make a big difference just having them back. I did also want to hit a little bit more on, on Dorka because it wasn't her best game, but one thing I did notice was just having her on the floor made a difference in this game. They didn't have her in the national championship, but in this game, you had Olya Boston guarding Dorka Uhas a lot, and that was forcing Olya Boston out on the perimeter a little bit more because Dorka was playing outside of the lane some. And I think that made way for a lot of the reasons that UConn was able to find success in the lane is that Olya Boston wasn't always in there, you know, wasn't always in the way. Um, and and that was a big difference maker as well. And another part with that is past UConn bigs, who we all know who I'm talking about. <laughs> if if they were having a bad game, it was a bad game, and there's <laughs> nothing that was going to change that. But Dorka had a play in the I think it was the fourth quarter, and I don't remember the exact situation. But when it happened, I did have an immediate thought where. You know, if UConn comes back to win this game or something, that's a really big play in this game. And we might be talking about, yeah, Dorka didn't play well for 35 minutes, but she hit a really big shot. She made a really important basket when it mattered. That didn't really come to fruition, but just the fact that she was still playing the whole game and she was still fighting and she was, you know, still working to make an impact out there that's still better than what's happened in the past at times. Exactly. What did you think of Ayanna Patterson? Someone, let me look up 
who they were on Twitter because they asked me about it. And I do think she's a really interesting case. Jamie. Jamie asked what we thought about Ayanna Patterson. And I was surprised looking in the post-game box score that she didn't have a single point. She didn't have a single shot. She didn't have a single rebound. She didn't have a single anything besides three fouls and two turnovers. But she played some really good defense for a few stretches there. She had a few really good possessions on that end of the floor. And it didn't feel like they necessarily lost anything when she was on the floor. Would it have been better to have Aaliyah Edwards out there? Absolutely. But when she had to replace Aaliyah Edwards for a span in the third quarter, and the fourth quarter even, it's not like the game got out of hand and they couldn't survive that stretch without her. I think it was as good of a zero 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 line as you can have especially as a freshman in your first big game like that so it's been a really tough stretch for patterson and i'm i'd really be curious to hear what gino thinks is going on with her because she hasn't been this bad all year but i thought she had a pretty positive performance all things considered yeah i think this is the case where what shows up in the box score just doesn't really do justice to how she was in the court I think what you said about, you know, her in the third quarter and fourth quarter, it wasn't a huge drop off that obviously it would have been better to have Aaliyah Edwards out there, but she was able to hold her own mostly and be not create like a, a bad situation for UConn where they fell way behind because she was out there. And I was really impressed with her in the first half, in the minutes that she played in the first half. It's not going to come up in the box score, but I thought she had some really good defensive possessions forced kind of some some turnovers for South Carolina on the end line was able to just kind of get in there and disrupt on the defensive end and that doesn't necessarily come through in rebounds or points but I thought her presence in in that first half was really impressive especially coming in off the bench against the number one team in the country in that environment and being asked to to jump into a game like that when that hasn't been the expectation for her in a while She's really slid down on Gino's trust list because even with how short of a bench they've had, he hasn't really given her minutes that are valuable. But I think it was telling that she came in in the first quarter and it's not like there was necessarily an onus for him to do that. There wasn't foul trouble or, you know, anything like that where he had to protect either Dork or Aaliyah. And by having them on the bench, it was just, all right, go in there and see what you can do. And would have been nice if she could have been a bigger factor on the glass. But just as important is forcing shots that need to be rebounded. And, you know, I don't remember an occasion where the other team scored on her. And she might have fouled, but she went toe-to-toe with some really good bigs in that game. Mm -hmm. And I thought held her ground, so... If this can be the game that we look back at and say, all right, well, you know, you can't see it in the box score, but that was really the game where it started to turn around for her as a freshman. That'd be big because we know what she can do. She's got the talent. She's got the motor. She's got the athleticism. It's just been really hard for her to piece it together, especially with being in foul trouble all the time. But if they could even get 10, maybe I'm being greedy and 15 good minutes out of her, every single game that's a really big boost for this team especially in their current state Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think anything positive you can get off the bench right now is a, a boost in the current state. But agreed, if they can get something longer term from her, that's, you know, even if it's not scoring, if it's really solid minutes on defensive end, like we saw in the first quarter, or some help on the rebounding, if she can get back to, to being what we saw towards the beginning of this, this season there, it'll go a long way for this team, being able to rotate a little bit more and get players rest and have a little bit more life in their legs, especially as we start looking at March being not that far away. Yeah, and maybe with the exception of Nico Mule, you can take anyone off when you put her on. I mean, if you take Lou off, then Aubrey kind of slides into more of a guard role and Ayana plays on the wing, and you have a really big lineup and a really rebounding heavy lineup. Or if you take any of those three forwards off, then she can just kind of slot in there. So. It's not like if you put Enish in, you're switching up the way that you're playing a lot. You're going to be having two guards out there, two ball handling guards, two pass first guards that aren't necessarily huge scorers. But I just think she offers more versatility in what UConn can do out on the floor than really any, maybe anyone except Caroline. Yeah, I think that's fair. Speaking of Nika, just to to pop back to her she suddenly turned into a a a little not a huge scorer but she's been contributing like seven eight nine ten plus points feels like for a couple weeks now and that's not been something that we've seen all year but it isn't just that she's making these shots but she's looking for it there are a few times where she just put the ball on the floor and drove to the rim and got there pretty easily she pulled up for that free throw line jumper that we heard so much about all off season that hasn't really been a huge thing. She had one of their two, three point attempts. She got a lot of luck to get that in, but (laughs) she still took it and a double digit performance against that type of team. They don't need her to be AZ or page, but if she's just contributing that many points somewhere in the range of like, I'd say seven to 12 every single game on top of her assists numbers that's a big boost to the offense even if it doesn't feel like it because that opens up the rest of the floor teams are going to have to start paying more attention to her and are going to have to defend her a little more closely they can't just back off of her and you know defend everyone else with two people yeah, it changes how teams have to guard her and then I think especially in the situation that this team's in right now where they don't have any scoring off the bench, it's made them better offensively because you really need the five players on this floor to score when you're playing a top team. If you don't have anyone that you can bring in, that's going to be a scoring boost. They can't win every game with just four people scoring. And it creates room, I think, too, for someone to have a little bit of an off night on the offensive end. So Dorka didn't have a lot of points against South Carolina, but they're still able to keep it close because Nika scored some. So it gives them a boost in that regard as well. And it's just an important development in our game because mm-hmm. as good as she's been this year, Paige Becker is an AZ Futter back next year and you got those freshman guards coming in. She's not going to get replaced, but still what kind of role is there if, you know, Paige and AZ are who Paige and AZ are and Aaliyah is who Aaliyah is and Aubrey continues doing what she's doing. Suddenly you got four players right there who can contribute a lot and as good Nika's been so good that it's kind of helped 
cover up her being a very one-dimensional offensive player, but that's started to, you know, erode a little bit. And again, it doesn't need to be a ton of offense, but it just has to be the amount that she's giving right now. So I think what is the biggest, biggest, biggest takeaway from this game is that like the most wide reaching takeaway, I guess, is that UConn and South Carolina are one and two. And if both teams have everyone available, then you can argue about who's actually number one, but it's really starting to feel like there's South Carolina, there's UConn, and then there's everyone else, especially with Stanford losing at Washington over the weekend. Yeah, I think you have to throw Indiana into that top conversation too. They only That's have fair. the one loss and it was without Grace Berger. So I, I don't think you can necessarily cut them out. I don't necessarily think I think they're on the same level as UConn and South Carolina, but I don't know that we've seen anything that suggests that they're not either. So I, I do think you have to put them in that top conversation. But agree, this, the loss for Stanford this weekend, it's their second not great loss in the last couple of weeks. Really problematic Ohio State has just taken a, a full-on nosedive, so I don't, we don't need to talk about them in that conversation anymore. Um, but I think it's kind of UConn, South Carolina, and Indiana at the top right now. Yeah, and I think that's fair to include Indiana in there too because they've been consistent all year long with the way they've played, and they were still a pretty good team without Grace Berger out there. It's not like, mm-hmm. yeah, their one loss came with her, but... They had a couple really good wins in there, too. Yeah, they don't necessarily have the level of wins that UConn has, but they have some really solid wins. And having Grace Berger back, that's a veteran guard. And Mackenzie Holmes has been great for them in the post as well. And that's been a big development since last year in that she struggled against teams that had a bigger presence last year. And you haven't really seen that with her this year. And she's been putting up some big numbers, kind of probably a part of that. That group that Alita's inserted her way into of being some of the top bigs in the country. And I think Mackenzie Holmes is another name that should be getting thrown into that conversation. Yeah, I'd agree. And to kind of look ahead and talk about bracketology, the first selection committee reveal is going to be on Thursday at it's halftime of a game that starts at like 930, right? It's a preposterous time yeah. if I'm remembering correct. It's- the ESPN game on Thursday is Stanford, Arizona, so it's West Coast, so it's a 9.30 start, so it's halftime of that game. That's terrible, but yep. <laughs> regardless, I think South Carolina, UConn, Indiana are, I'd say, locks to be one seeds, barring, you know, really bad losses from them down the stretch. I mean, with Indiana, I feel like it would take two really bad losses for them to get knocked out South Carolina. I mean, I think we're talking many more UConn. That it's a little tougher with them just because I don't know how the committee is going to view their losses already without having AZ FUD and how that's all going to shake out. But it feels like UConn is in a pretty good position to be a one seed. And then the fourth one is just largely going to depend on what shakes out with the other teams. What, they think of LSU. I think that's going to be eye-opening. What they think of Iowa, what they think of Stanford or Utah or Maryland or Duke or Notre Dame. I mean, there doesn't seem to be a ton of 
great options for that fourth one seed, which makes it feel like those three teams that we mentioned are all kind of a cut above and have kind of slotted themselves into that spot. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think things can always change, right? You never know what's going to happen the rest of the season. Yeah. We've seen plenty of chaos this year to say, like, Indiana could lose their next three. You never know or whatever. Yeah. But Look at Ohio State. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I do, I do think that's the way things are looking, at least right now. I do agree that Sun- or Thursday, like, what they do with LSU is the thing I'm most interested to see because I think that's just kind of a wild card at the moment. There's just no, like, real historical thing to point to where you can be like there's a team that was this good but also played no one and this is how they were seated so that will be interesting but UConn's put themselves in a very good position to be I would say a one seed and a one seed in the right area where they don't have to play South Carolina until until a national championship game as well I think if they kind of win out as they should they're probably that second or third overall seed and that puts them in a really good spot going into um selection monday especially considering if they have az and caroline back i do think that especially with az back like the way that some of those losses are looked at will be different than they might be looked at on thursday with her not being available yet Granted, I think even if you take that out of the equation, they still have a very good argument for one seed. I don't necessarily know that you need to like worry about that piece at this point unless they, they lose again. Because right now, I think even with the resume they have, you can ignore the fact that they don't have AZ and they have a one seed resume. Right. This is it. I, I'm more interested to see how the committee views them next to Indiana because mm-hmm. that feels like their best comparison where. Indiana has the better record. UConn has the better strength of schedule, and they've both been without their best players for stretches. So in those respects, they're very similar teams. And I think part of it will be where does number two go and where does number three go in this bracket reveal overall seeds? I mean, because it's either Seattle or Greenville. And (laughs) I think, I think most People want UConn to end up in Greenville. It's easier to get to, or it's shorter to get to. I don't know if it's actually easier to get to. It's probably harder to get to, but it's closer, which I think has some merit to it. So (laughs) I don't know. I, I also, from like, if I was a TV executive, yeah, I would much rather have South Carolina UConn be the national championship. And I wouldn't be surprised if the committee pulls some strings for that to happen. But you know, strictly from a, I mean, like from my perspective, I'd always rather have having covered UConn losing in national semifinals and losing in national championships. I strongly prefer them losing in national semifinals because it makes my life a lot easier. But even like as a <laughs> fan of like, I'd rather the Patriots lose in the AFC championship than lose in the Super Bowl or like I, I'd rather lose in a semifinal than lose in a championship because I I just think that pain of losing in a championship is so, so, so much stronger. So if you're going to have to play South Carolina, I think uh, personally, I would rather pick that being in the national semifinal because then I think we'd have our answer there one way or another. Um, if they play LSU in the championship game and lose, then I become the joker. 
but <laughs> I, Fair, I, but... <laughs> it, it would definitely make for a better event if that was the rematch of the national championship game yeah and i think that's likely the path that they're on i think uconn would have to lose to someone for to end up in the, the place where they're the four seat the fourth overall number one seed and slated to play south carolina in in the final four and i don't see a world where South Carolina isn't the number one overall seed right now. I guess, you know, anything can happen, but I would be very surprised if that is not the case when we get to March. So I do think that's the case. The two versus three will be interesting. And I think the way it comes out on Thursday, even if like Indiana and UConn both won out and like Indiana's two right now and UConn's three is not necessarily the way it would look on Selection Monday because if AZ Fudd is back, I think that part might change. Today was the day where I like started putting all the dates down in my calendar of like the selection show is this day and the first few rounds are this day and the regionals are this day and the final four are these days. And I I would just like to know at this point. We're we're through the big non conference <laughs> game. Yeah, Villanova on the 18th, that'll be, that'll, I, I don't know, I could also see that kind of being a blowout and not being that yeah. interesting of a game and kind of the same thing with Creighton, the way they've done, like, I guess the DePaul game is going to be interesting just because it's another Anissa Moro game, but just, I just want to see what the bracket is. I want to know what it all looks like because I'm I'm over the regular season at this point. Get everyone healthy. And let's just see what the postseason looks like. Yeah, that's fair. I hope the Villanova's cl- game is close for Villanova's sake because I think they're on the fringe of like getting to host the first and second rounds, and keeping it close with UConn will help them there. It, it like Nova being good this year is helping UConn too because UConn's likely going to get probably two more games against them assuming they meet in the biggest tournament and that's a a top 15 net win right now yeah i think there's a i mean obviously villanova is the best one but i think the Big East tournament could at least be more competitive than it has been for uconn postseason conference tournaments in the past just with how strong that middle class of the conference is so i don't who's even behind Villanova in the Big East right now with Creighton taking a nosedive? That's a good question. Let me look. Maybe Marquette? I'll look to validate that, though. Creighton, somehow. It is still... <laughs> it's still a top... <laughs> or it's almost a top 25 net game. Yeah, then Marquette's way mm-hmm. down in the 40s. But, like, Seton Hall's 54, St. John's is 57, even DePaul's 70, which isn't anything great but it's still not bad and Mm -hmm. then yeah you start to get to that lower tier georgetown at 97 and providence at 121 and butler at 129 that first round game is probably going to be one of those bad teams or it is going to be one of those bad teams it's inevitable but at least they'll get a few good ones in there exactly i think you're talking less about like uconn doesn't have an opportunity to pick up any good wins in their conference tournament this year because i think a win over creighton is still a good win a win over villanova is a really really good win i just i'm ready to see it i'm ready to be in postseason mode 
<laughs> I don't know if it's just this year that I've gotten. I'm now extremely bored with the regular season, but it it almost kind of resembles last year where now we're, we we just kind of sat and started waiting for Paige Beckers in December. Now we're just sitting and waiting for the postseason and seeing how that all goes. If UConn can at least maintain this level and even if they don't get anyone back, but they don't lose anyone further. If like this exact roster is what they go into the tournament and what they'll have for the tournament. I don't know who stands in their way of a final four. I think the prospect mm-hmm. of possibly playing Stanford for the elite eight is a little terrifying just because I think they've underperformed, but have the feel of a team that could turn it on when it matters. But th- still, I-, I like UConn's chances in that anyways. I like their chances against pretty much if they have everyone i like their chances against everyone if they have everyone minus az i like their chances against everyone not named south carolina and they still have pretty good chances against south carolina so i'm not saying that i'm booking my ticket to dallas yet but i don't have that much anxiety about the final four streak ending especially not compared to the last couple of years yeah i think what we saw especially from this weekend but really from this stretch over the last two weeks where they've kind of had some bigger games is that this team is really good. They can win in different ways, even with just group of five to six that they're really playing right now. And all signs point to Caroline being back in the next couple games. So that's a good addition. And, you know, if they don't have AZ, obviously that it hurts what this team could be, but I still feel like we've seen that this group can be really good and is really good. And as a top three team in the country, as the group that it is yeah and they're tough they're tough in a way that past UConn teams really haven't been I mean just look at the way last year's team went through a lot and they kind of developed a resiliency to everything that happened but that wasn't there immediately they crumbled in the first game after Paige's injury they just completely rolled over and died out at Oregon they they, there were just so many games resulting from the injuries where they just didn't put up a fight and they kind of developed that by the postseason, but then they got to the national championship game and then they didn't put up a fight again, but there hasn't been a game this year where UConn, ah, I would say Notre Dame, they, they kind of rolled over a little bit, but one game in a season where you lose your best player out of the blue and you kind of thought you, you were over that by this point. I mean, I think that's, what is really going to be what drives this team. Nothing on the basketball court, just they are so, so tough. They're so resilient. And like you said, they just find ways to win, which is a hallmark of really good teams. Exactly. It is getting into the stretch run of the college season, but it's also WNBA free agency right now. And surprise, surprise, UConn, former UConn players, or one former UConn player in particular, has been at the center of that. Brianna Stewart coming to New York. Stew York is what they're branding it as. I like New York Stewie way better. I think Stew York sounds terrible, personally. (laughs) But the newest super team to compete with the Aces, who added Candace Parker, the defending champions added Candace Parker, out in Vegas. Now it's going to be Stewie, Sabrina Ionescu, and they also added Courtney Vandersloot, so... And John Paul Jones. That's a big piece of that. Oh, too. yes. And John Paul Jones. I was <laughs> like, I really feel like I'm missing someone there with New York. Yes. 
So multiple MVPs coming to New York. If that's not the finals, I'm going to be very confused. Yeah, I think you can. I would if you could bet on like what two teams would be in the finals. I think that would be a, some easy money. Or or it wouldn't be because the odds would be so high that you'd have to bet a ton to even fair. <laughs> make anything. I understand your point. How do you like Stewie's fit with New York, and how do you think she kind of fits in both with Jonquil Jones because they're similar players, I'd say, and just the rest of the roster in general. I like the fact. I think this team is going to be very good. In addition to the names that you you listed, you also have Benajelade and E still there. So a really solid group of teams. Her and Dunkel Jones in the front court is going to be, I think, really interesting. In Seattle, she played the four a lot, and they had someone else at the five, but it was never someone of the caliber of Dunkel Jones. And I think it's going to be exciting to watch uh, the two of them play side by side. It's probably just going to open things up for them both to be more successful because I don't know how anyone, even the aces, as good as the aces are going to be, is going to guard John Colt Jones and Brianna Stewart together. And that's fun. And then I think having the Courtney Vandersloot signing was the key to this team being as good as it can be. She signed, I think it was a few days after Stewie, or maybe it was just like a couple days, but as they were trying to advertise it as a super team without salute, I was like, I don't know, like Sabrina at the point guard hasn't really worked well in the WNBA. I think she's much more effective at the two, but I think you bring in a player like Clint Courtney Vandersu, who I think it's safe to say is the best, if not maybe one of the best, but I think the best point guard in the WNBA is a fair statement um, to kind of be able to one feed those two players in the post, but also play in tandem with Sabrina in the backcourt as team is going to be a lot of fun to watch. I'm very excited to get down to a Liberty game this year. Have you been to Barclays for a game? I have. I went to one, I think it was like July 4th weekend of like 2021 or something. I don't know. It was random. It was cold (laughs) for some reason, but it was July 4th. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I did make it down there once, but I am excited to make it down to some more this year. Yeah, those, I mean, the WNBA needs, like, it feels like as as much as it's grown, it really needs a foothold in like a big market to kind of really launch and having a super team in New York. I mean, if this was happening with the Indiana fever, it would not have the same buzz as it does with the New York Liberty. Yeah. I overall think it's going to be good for the league. I think people have mixed opinions on super teams, but I think it's drawing a lot of attention to the WNBA right now. And overall, I think that's good. I think I had someone at work, that like knows I'm into women's basketball randomly call me on Friday and be like, I need you to explain how the contracts work. How does this team sign all these players? <laughs> so it's it's getting <laughs> it's getting attention from people that maybe weren't paying attention before. And I think that's what the, the league needs to grow. That's always the test is when the general sports fans start asking you about this or that with women's basketball or the WNBA. That's how you know something's going mainstream. Exactly. <laughs> Some of the other transactions, much smaller transactions compared to Stewie, but Kia Nurse to the Seattle Storm. Hopefully she can actually be healthy for a full season and have, well, I'd say a little bit of stability, but I don't think that's going to exactly be the most stable place (laughs) in the WNBA this year. 
Yeah, I don't know that they have enough players signed to make a team currently, so probably not the most stable place in the league. But should be a good opportunity for her at least to get minutes. Then Azure Stevens to the Sparks. Sparks are going to be interesting with Kurt Miller there now. I can't imagine he's planning to uh, tank for Aaliyah Boston or Paige Beckers. So I'm curious to see how they try and piece things together. Yeah, they're not a super team, but I think a lineup that's that's going to be interesting there. They've also added Jasmine Thomas, Suns point guard. They've added they have Katie Lou Samuelson there still. Added Hamby from the Aces. Resigned Lexi Brown. It's and then the I don't know that they're officially on the roster yet, but I saw that both the Akubake sisters intend to resign. So a team that's you know probably not going to be in the finals with New York or Vegas, but I think it's going to be a good team this year. Well, you just mentioned the Sun. Speaking of them, they are absolutely in the sweepstakes for <laughs> one of, I mean, 2024 has the look of a uh, a generational draft, but they look like they are gearing up to be just terrible for the foreseeable future to load up on those high picks. Uh, speaking yeah. of which, well, this is not meant to be a shot at Liv, but I got to that because the Sun traded for Olivia Nelson and Dota for Jasmine Thomas. Um, and that's not necessarily a knock on live. Just the son have traded away pretty much all their good players, not named Alyssa Thomas. Exactly. It's, they are definitely changing things up and agreed. I think they're kind of in a, a rebuilding state and going to be in the lottery for some of those, those big time players that are going to come out in the 2024 draft. In terms of, like, for Olivia Nelson and Dota, though, I think it's a great opportunity. I think she did well in the minutes that she got last summer with the Sparks, and I think she's going to have more opportunities in Connecticut because of the state of their roster. So it'll be a good opportunity for her to to prove that she can play at this level and be successful. Yeah, you need minutes as a young player. She's going to get plenty of them. She's got, I think, in some ways, you don't want to spend... Like you don't want to bounce around organization to organization, but it's not like the Sparks were the were the steadiest place in the WNBA last year. So I think moving, if if this is a place that she's going to be for a, for a little bit, my only concern is that my personal opinion. I I'm just spouting nonsense. It's not like I've heard anything, but my I feel like the Sun has currently constructed hired their coach stephanie white and their gm to be fired so that they can kind of start to get this new core together and then once they're ready to actually compete they bring in a bigger name someone with more experience someone with a better track record to kind of take them over the top that's what i think it looks like i don't know if that's actually what it's going to be not something i've honestly thought about much but i think either way if she proves herself like she'll land someplace else if they they make changes in the future yeah exactly so those are the well actually those aren't the trades crystal dangerfields it was technically her rights that were traded to dallas but then she signed a contract with them maybe this is the spot that she can land permanently after leaving the links after bouncing around a bit last year Maybe, though. I don't know that I wish anyone to land permanently in Dallas. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the state of Texas is just being cursed by the ghost of the Houston Comets. 
Yeah, I don't know. The Dallas franchise is a bit of a disaster, but I think she'll do well there. (laughs) Well, also, like, the San Antonio Stars, or I think that was their name. Like, they didn't exactly make it either, so maybe the basketball gods have just put a curse on the state of Texas since until the uh, Houston Comets return, if they ever return. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Then... Yeah, then the uh, I believe the last transaction is Avina Westbrook back on a training camp contract with the Mystics. The more interesting part is that she is on a committee with some big names, uh, names that I cannot currently think of, except for uh, Karina LeBlanc, the GM of the Thorns, but for an expansion team out in Portland, so... I just, and she's also interning with the Trailblazers, if I'm not mistaken. So it seems like she's, I know she wanted to get into like broadcasting or journalism, but it seems like she might be gearing more towards a front office or administrative type career. Yeah, good for her to see her getting those opportunities early. And then I think it's great to see that she got the, the training camp contract with the Mystics. She's going to have a chance again to prove herself in that camp. I think you're looking at, a draft this year that's not the deepest necessarily. So if she's kind of got that year of experience under her belt, I think she's got a good opportunity to, to land a roster spot there. Yeah. And she had her moments as a rookie. It's not like mm-hmm. she was terrible and just filling in because they needed someone. They needed a warm body. I mean, we know that she's a firmly solid player she's not going to be a superstar but that type of player can work in the wnba exactly and she'll get some experience she's playing in the au pro sports i think that starts in a couple weeks or maybe it starts next week i can't keep track of dates anymore but she'll get some experience playing with other people that are at the w in the off season here coming up in the next couple weeks too yeah which I don't think there's ever a bad opportunity to play with those type of players. Even if it's the type of players that you're largely competing against for roster spots. I mean, then you kind of know what your competition is. Yeah, exactly. You've got a handful of bigger names that are playing. I think uh, Lexi Brown, Natasha Cloud. I forget. I know there's a couple others that that I'm missing there, but... Yeah, a lot of people that are kind of in a similar spot to Avina and that they're competing for roster spots, but it will be a good opportunity regardless. On that note, that'll do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. Thanks for listening. We'll get you next time.